What's up, guys, and welcome back to the second episode of the Leaders in Sport podcast brought to you by DFS and your host, Adrian and Sylvie. We are so excited to have you back. Last episode was a quick one, kind of 10 minute kind of overview of what we're looking to accomplish here, who we are uh, in brief, and, uh, and that was it. So we're rolling into our first episode with a guest today. Uh, we recorded this uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we're pretty excited to talk about it. I mean, it was fitting that we have uh, this guest on first because he's just put together a course uh, that you should probably go on and check out. Uh, so our guest is Roland Pankowicz. Roland has been a certified holistic nutritionist, resistance exercise specialist uh, for quite some time. He graduated from the Institute of Holistic Nutrition, and he's worked with a, a pretty broad range of clients. Uh, his course uh, that was just put together for uh, Designs for Sport is uh, uh, an intro, I suppose, to nutrition and uh, supplementation and a variety of other concepts that are valuable for you as a coach working with your client. Um, so the course is called Applied Nutrition for Strength Coaches and Trainers. A fitting name gets right to the point. And uh, if you head over to the Designs for Sport website, you can uh, click down to a link and get some more details on that course if you're interested in taking it. Anything else that I missed there, so? No, we're excited to talk to Roland Pankowicz. We're super excited to have Roland on joining us today. If, if this is a series, uh, he's going to be one of the main characters that will carry through many seasons. Oh, we got to write my script well then. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I guess that's up to us right now. Awesome. Well, I mean, you asked how real is it? It's somewhere more real than dragons and a little bit less real than a full supplement line. Somewhere <laughs> in between. <laughs> exactly. Somewhere in between. Not quite mythical, but it's almost. It's, I think that might be the best spot for it to be in right now. It's a, it's a slow burn, a tease. It is. So, Roland, thank you so much for being on. Um, we, why don't you give us a bit of your bio as opposed to us butchering your bio and then asking for you to correct it after. Oh, but it's so much fun fabricating things on the fly. Okay, fine. <laughs> I will, um, it, it's so interesting to, to figure out where to start. Uh, I will say the things that are probably most relevant for this podcast is like you guys, I got my start in athletics. Um, and my start in athletics led me to getting into competitive martial arts, which I you know, Adrian, you have a, a very storied past with, which is awesome. And for me, the connection between, let's say, health and performance started when I became obsessed about how I could gain a competitive advantage. Like, okay, we're all training the same. Well, what can I eat to make me perform better? What can I do to make me recover better? What can I do in the gym to make me punch more powerfully? What can I do to, to condition myself so I don't get tired as quickly? And that borderline neuroses of interest became um, a profession where I started working as a strength coach and a personal trainer. I did that for many years. Um, and then when I was kind of at a crossroads because I had reached uh, probably the level of professional experience I wanted to with exercise, uh, I was encouraged to go back to school for nutrition and biochemistry because someone put it to me so succinctly. They're like, people ask you all, all the time already anyways. Why don't you just get paid for it? And I went, that's a really good idea. So I went back to school to study holistic nutrition and biochemistry. Uh, and that led me to uh, eventually teaching there, which was a really cool experience because I never thought I would be a teacher. 
I was not the model student. I was the guy who would do my homework the very last day before it was due. And then teaching, uh, I love the idea of teaching because it tells you what you already know really well and it tells you where there's opportunity to learn more. So it gave me this different perspective rather than just know something to know it. It was knowing something to teach it. And then, you know, between that time frame and, and now I have uh, studied functional medicine. I have studied something called health optimization medicine. I got to travel around the world with the founder of that organization, running a clinic in Asia, running a clinic here in Canada, which I deal with clients in, across all of North America and both a, a health and a professional athletic contest context rather. And, you know, that kind of brings us converging on the fact that we're all doing this Designs for Swart project together where I've been very graciously asked and it's been an honor to create the first course to launch Designs for Sport as a, a real entity, get it out of the mythical status, as we just mentioned. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, we're ex very excited to talk to you because there's so much in there that we can dive into. Uh, but we really wanted to, you know, obviously do an intro today to get to know you, obviously, and with your background and kind of starting out in health and wellness, what were those major changes that you saw gaining that competitive edge originally? Like when you started to implement this stuff, like what did you see made such a difference for you personally? Um, I would say the first area that I had to <clears throat> use my, my awareness to think about this was fighting in a specific weight class, which is a very challenging thing in a combat sport. And as you know, um, you have to somehow be energetic and able to deal with your training, yet drop weight simultaneously without it impacting your performance. So then I had to look at, well, what are the areas of opportunity that I have in terms of controlling my caloric intake, controlling things like blood sugar and insulin levels, what's an adequate amount of protein, what's too much protein, how can I lose weight mostly as body fat without sacrificing muscle mass because you know that sacrifices performance. And then does actually skipping in a sauna with garbage bags on do anything meaningful to you day to day to lose weight? So you go through all the, I would say, the mistakes. Um, and then you start to get a sense of, oh, when I eat certain foods, my performance levels off. When I eat certain foods, my performance declines. So it's getting a sense of how to time things and really kind of put together your own formula for approaching your own health and performance. And I knew I was getting somewhere with that when all of the other guys on my team are asking me, okay, what do I do here? What supplement should I take before this session? What should I do after the fact to help recovery? So, you know, God bless that kickboxing team. They were my, my test subjects without even knowing it. Roland, where did you, are you born and raised Toronto? Um, I am. I'm a suburban kid. I, I grew up in Unionville, Ontario, about 30 minutes outside Toronto. Got it. And then, so what gym were you training out of? Um, the team was called Scorpion Kickboxing. Okay, that sounds that I mean, does sound like a uh, like a Cobra Kai. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, we didn't quite learn to levitate, but it, it was it was pretty intense. It was um, we had to fight under the Muay Thai banner of Camtow back in the day in Ontario because that's all that was around. Right. So we were kickboxers fighting Muay Thai, which was an advantage in one way because traditional Muay Thai typically doesn't like to box, but as kickboxers, you don't have those like brutal knees and kicks so you have to learn to fight with a different style to adapt to the rules of the game but also to find a way to beat your opponent got it and now and then you you started fighting at what age i'm just trying to timeline here yeah um probably 21 22 21 22 okay and then how long how long do you still train 
Is that uh, I don't really? anymore. Um, I, oh. I haven't found a way to go back to training without wanting to fight. And I don't want to prove myself at 34 to go back in the ring just to, just to say I did it. But um, I probably competitively fought for about three or four years. Um, but I realized my limitations with that was uh, one very obvious thing. You know how a lot of MMA guys and boxers, they love the exchange. They love to get hit. They love the rush of, of getting punched and all that. Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't like getting hit in the head. So for me, it was like maybe it was thinking that in the future, my brain might be used for other purposes. Right. So when I got to the point where I did a, a pro fight in the U.S. and I got the living crap kicked out of me for like a couple hundred bucks, I was like, eh, I'll move on. <laughs> no, it's good. I think, I mean, yeah, if, if nothing else, I think that it's, it's one of the best, uh, the best testing grounds for your own personal adversity. That's so. what it is. And you know what I love about any martial art? That it gets overshadowed by the brutality of it. It is a beautiful dance in like that of a game of chess. It's a strategy play and there's beauty in the planning, the strategic approach. And people who don't quite understand martial arts don't know how much goes into it as a thinking game. Yeah. It's literally, if you can look at it as a game that is structured and you can set aside the brutality of using your hands and your feet as weapons it's a beautiful exercise in strategy and planning. It just gets overshadowed by, you know, people wanting to see knockouts and various other things that just come with the territory. Yeah. But I think I can echo what you said. It's, it teaches you so much about yourself. Well, it's interesting too, because you, if you, if you take someone who maybe fills out that, that specific archetype, uh, you, you automatically assume that they read very few books uh, <laughs> and because maybe they don't articulate their thoughts in the way that we would expect uh, to be, you know, an intelligent, well thought out person uh, to interact with the world. And Do you I remember think, Rich Franklin? I mean, yeah, great, great example. Like of, of he was someone my archetype. Like he was a math teacher, and he used his knowledge of mathematics to calculate different angles because he wasn't a power puncher, but he had a high striking percentage. Yeah. So like watching him like, oh, there's a different way to approach this. You don't just need to go and slug and hope that you can stand longer than the other guy. Yeah. No, it is. It is interesting. Even we were watching um, the Jordan documentary and, and Dennis Rodman, who like, it, it would seem like he doesn't like he doesn't think the game. He just goes out and plays it. He talks about rebounding and the ability to put yourself in certain positions and how mm -hmm. if he puts himself in that position. The ball comes to him. And it's like, no, he, he's actually really smart, guys. Like He's brilliant. He's just not brilliant in the way that you would expect him to be brilliant, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so that's I think the, the unfortunate reality is you say there's this assumption, and it's probably with a lot of sports too, right? It's people might be a little bit introverted. They might have an interest, but they don't necessarily feel comfortable or want to vocalize what their internal interests are. So they get labeled as something where it's like, yeah, they're just interested in this sport. Something draws them. And I think the wonderful nature about competitive sports or any hard training endeavor that someone's gone through is there's a transference of abilities, experiences, and skill sets that you can take to something else. You know, for example, martial arts teaches what discipline, because if you're not disciplined, you don't focus on the offensive, the defensive side. Um, if you go into a fight without being disciplined, you might lose or you might get knocked out. So you prioritize discipline. And can you take that into your everyday life or your professional life? Absolutely. Right. But how do you keep, how do you keep that lesson if you don't, if you don't get a, a stark reminder uh, and served up some humble pie every, every so often? Because I think that's a challenge too. At least I, I view, like I notice that in my own personal life. I think um, that's a great question. I think it's kind of like this. 
to get the humble pie or the stark reminder in the ring, it's specific to the context of getting punched, kicked, knocked out, getting hurt. Right. Life will emulate those patterns if you take high risks and don't keep your awareness of the discipline of what it is it takes to be able to pursue the goal or the dream that you have. You know, like, so if you make a, a bad business decision, you lose a lot of money or you make a bad series of choices with your health and all of a sudden you're dealing with a catastrophic injury or a health condition of sorts. Life will give you that same lesson as a, a pattern, if you will. Um, and again, it's the awareness of the individual to see what's going on. And it's the commitments to discipline that allows you to be able to stay on the, stay in the path of, uh, how do I want to say this? Stay in the path of consistent behaviors that prevent you from getting those servings of humble pie. It's fair. It's fair. So then you said that your transition from there went into strength and conditioning. That was the next personal training. Strength and conditioning was the next, yes. uh, the next segue. What, in what form? In a, in a large gym, like a standard commercial gym in a private setting? Yeah. yeah, I did the large gym thing. I did the small studio thing. I trained people in their houses. I mean, I've hustled my entire life from a business perspective. And uh, what kind of materialized to me in the exercise world was, you know, coming back to the Rich Franklin example, I like math because math is, there's not a lot of gray zone. It's very calculable. It's very easy to understand. So I started an exercise um, field of study that was called the resistance training specialist program. And an easy way to think of it is the physics of exercise applied to both the human body, but also to the mass that someone's lifting. So it's a, it's a way of describing, you know, why a squat is hardest when your knees are bent to 90 degrees and why a squat's much easier when you're standing with your legs straight with a bar on your back, even though the weight's the same. It's understanding that imposition of resistance and then figuring out how to build a more effective exercise for someone's goal. Right. Someone's a sprinter versus a hockey player. You have subtle differences in what you're asking the body to do so you can change the muscles that are being challenged in a variety of ways to make someone better at starting or someone better at top speed mechanics or what have you. So for me, that was the, the entertaining aspect of exercise. It was getting to play around with these different things and seeing that manifest in changes in clients. Right. And then if, what was the population for you? It, it, there were a couple athletes, young athletes, but it actually moved towards people who had massive joint issues that they had these gross asymmetries, but they still wanted to exercise. So, you know, you got someone who can flex their hip to 90 degrees on the right leg, but their left hip can only flex to 35 degrees. How do you build a squat for them without their butt tilting up to the left when they bend both knees? So it was figuring out how to reintegrate that dysfunctional side. So training the weak point in a strategic way, then finding a way to integrate that back into normal exercise. And these are people who had like, I've had this pain in my back for five years or my knee always hurts when I do this thing. My desire was to take that pain away from them. That was my own desire. And a right. lot of the times it worked. Sometimes it was a little bit too challenging to figure out, but it, took, it takes a long time because you're repatterning the muscular system and the nervous system. And you're essentially teaching the body a new way of operating to get out of the compensatory patterns that they're stuck in. Yeah. It seems to be a trend. You like, you like the idea of, uh, of, of solving a problem in, in whatever it is, which I guess <laughs> is what we're all after. Yeah, but the mentor in that, that industry said, you know, take the idea of uh, an assembly line worker versus someone who designed the assembly line. It's like if you're the guy who's just sticking dolls on bodies all day long in a factory versus the guy who designed the dolls in the first place, not only are you probably enjoying your job more, it's going to take you more places. So I, 
I, now let that stay with me. I wanted to learn to do what other people couldn't so I could do what other people wouldn't. Other way around. Other people wouldn't so I could do what other people couldn't. Other people couldn't. Yeah, no, I understand. And, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, so how did that transition into the nutrition world? Uh, it just kind of an organic, pardon the pun, like an organic interest evolved from, you know, you learn as much as you may want to learn with exercise. And sometimes your interest just kind of gets piqued by something. It wavers. I was reading T Nation or I was reading Men's Health and I would flip to the nutrition section always because for me it was like, okay, well, what can you eat to recover more? What can you eat to enhance performance? And the idea of uh, nutrition and biochemistry which is an intimidating topic for most people became an interest to me because the minute I started seeing it all, like how it all fits together, kind of like a matrix, if you will, I went, Oh my God, I understand what they're trying to describe here, but no one wants to learn it because it's pitched in a way that's so dry and non-applicable. So for me, it was being able to now digest that information to be able to a affect people with it, but b teach other people so they can do the same thing. And ultimately, you know, it's all about helping people and at the end of the day. So you were, you went to IHN? I did go to IHN, yes. Okay, and that's where you taught as well? I did, the good old Institute of Holistic Nutrition, yeah. I, uh, I, I enrolled back in 2012 and working full-time and in school, it was one of those like, like you guys were mentioning, finish your work day, then either go to an evening class or go to a morning <laughs> class and work until 8, 9 p.m. in the evenings. And uh, it took me a couple of years to do that. And then I still remember the director was in the hallway one day and she said, Roland, I know the courses you're going to teach for me when you graduate. We had no prior conversation about this. It was literally like her stating the weather. And I went, huh? Right. You teach? I don't, I don't know if you know this. I'm not the greatest student here. I'm not, I don't have the top marks. She just said, it's okay, hon. We'll figure it out. And she walked back to her office. <laughs> And then after I graduated, I had a meeting with her and she said, you're teaching this course starting this day. I had a, a one day prep of figuring out how to teach the course and going over the material. And I remember other than making like feverish notes to make sure I wouldn't miss anything on the first day, I wouldn't say anything incorrectly. I just kind of started. What, what was the first course? It was called preventative healthcare. Okay. It was examining all the, did either of you go to IHN? I went to actually CSNN, so very similar. Kind of concept, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, it we, was yeah, we had a similar the, yeah. the main health conditions, if you will, and looking at the specific set of variables that kind of went into the contribution of the development of the disease, and then how do you remedy it on the back end? Um, and it was it was intense. I mean, you had to you had to learn every major condition that people are afflicted with. And what the causative factors are, where the body becomes dysfunctional, what the person experiences as a result of that, uh, the common medical diagnosis, what drugs are commonly prescribed, because as holistic practitioner, practitioners, we can't diagnose anything, but we can work off of a pre previously diagnosed condition. And then it was being able to add context on, you know, why for people with high blood pressure, celery might be a good food and why preserved foods with high sodium content might be a bad food and, and various elements to that. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you mentioned earlier about, you know, 
educating and being able to teach something is the highest level of understanding that topic, right? So, yes. you know, if you're able to actually teach it, then that means you fully understand it. And we actually were listening to a podcast this morning where they, they were talking about memorization and how, you know, memorizing things is not a full or not an understanding of things. It's actually teaching it and being able to take the information and put it into these frameworks or whatever to, you know, for people to understand in the masses, as opposed to just memorizing the information, which we all did in school. But (laughs) that's what everyone would always ask. Do we need to know this for the test? And I think I remember one day I went, guys, no one in the real world is going to ask what you got on your second preventative test. But if they're coming to you with a condition, they're going to want to know that you understand their condition innately, intimately, and you have some strategy about how to get them out of it. Know it for life, not for the test. Yeah, yeah, totally. How, how long did you teach for? I taught for about two and a half years there. I added three more courses to my course load um, until I could no longer teach for the, I guess, the professional development of doing education for um, other supplement companies and doing lectures where I could because that's uh, – building your own brand and moving forwards with, I guess, greater degrees of challenge. Um, that's always an appealing aspect in terms of what I look for in career development. So uh, there was a point to where I'd have to teach a course and I'd have to jump on a plane after that last day, fly out to Vancouver or fly out to somewhere in the U S and do something else work related. And it just got too much. Yeah. It just got too much, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, I can totally relate to that. And I think, um, you know, given your background and everything that you've done from an education perspective, I think a question that I often get asked is like, okay, what's this, the one course I can take and what, you know, what program should I take in order to do what you do in terms of sports nutrition or whatever it is? And Adrian gets asked this too. And it's like, well, it's not one course and we're constantly learning and, you know, sort of that background of what you choose to do is what makes up your unique approach. So I want to talk about some of those um, courses and your steps to kind of coming to where you are today. And I'm sure you're still learning and taking courses because it sounds like, you know, if you're teaching them, obviously you have to be consuming the information as well all the time, especially in our field. (laughs) Yeah, I think one should always espouse to be a student of the school of life. Yeah. First and foremost, Um, know, know that you're never not learning. Even as a teacher, if you can allow yourself to know what's happening in real time, your students are actually teaching you a lot when you're supposed to be teaching them. And it gives you so much more of a a greater perspective of understanding a holistic picture of something rather than just a sliver that you fall into this falsified, um, unjust, I know it, so I don't need to to learn it anymore. I don't need to read about it. It's like, no, no. When you have a little bit of something, you learn more and you realize how much you don't know. And that's kind of where the doors open. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the steps that you took, let's talk about some of the, you know, you don't have to go into every single course you've ever taken, but some of the major ones that kind of ha- have shaped your, you know, philosophies and how you teach today. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> believe it or not, most of it was not, um, most of it was not packaged together in a course. Rather, it was more like, okay, well, what do I want to know? I want to know about fat loss as an overarching topic. So what I would do is I would look at all the elements that go into the concept of fat loss and I would reverse engineer them back to their core elements of metabolism. 
And I would literally just dive into a textbook and learn everything there was to know about energy metabolism to know the details first. Then I would watch videos and I would make it something that was visually depicted. So I would understand it from a, a second degree of, okay, well, here's the visual representation. And then I would try to make that a practical element, right? So if we're looking at, let's say, anaerobic metabolism, we know that's, oh, it's not happening inside the mitochondria. It's happening inside of the cell and it's a carbohydrate mediated process. And it's short-term lactic acid buildup, all that good stuff. And what does it look like as a practical example? Run a 200-meter sprint. So it's like taking it from its basic core biochemical elements and then practicalizing it for an example where someone can grab onto. And then it's knowing how to take that concept and figuring out how do you influence it? How can you improve the, the elements of anaerobic metabolism within food, lifestyle, supplementation, um, recovery, all those things. And it's, it's really just trying to know it so intimately that you're very well versed. It's kind of like a friend of yours. Sounds kind of cliche. No, I, I think that's an amazing way to, to, to describe, you know, education and how you do self-educate. Mm -hmm. You know, you can read books and consume knowledge all day and we've all been guilty of this, but if you're not actually able to put it into that framework of understanding it, you know, it's, it's, it's just useless information. Right. Yeah, it makes you sound really smart at like a dinner party among your <laughs> professional peers. But it's, you know, you take these basic concepts of health. I think there are certain foundational nodes in the body, like energy metabolism is one of them. Gut health is another one. Inflammation in the immune system is another one. The endocrine system, the, you know, the nervous system. How do all these things interconnect to know that if you affect one, what are the associated effects locally, but both peripherally. And then you can understand why when someone's chronically inflamed, you know that there's likely a GI thing that's going on, which is going to be driving an aberrant immune response, which will manifest an inflammatory compound being generated, which will compromise mitochondrial function, which downregulate energy production and compromise endocrine signaling. And just, you can start to build this whole story about how one thing is causing all of these things. So when you're dealing with someone, how do you then approach working with this person to get them back to a baseline of health where their body's not unable to maintain compensation for the imbalance they're seeing? Yeah, I love, I love the way that you frame that. That's, and this is why you teach. I love it. <laughs> I told you, so either I made, or I made it up and it sounds really convincing. <laughs> hey, that, that's great too. <laughs> well, Good. Well, as you said, it's a bit of a good segue, speaking of teaching, into, into what your next, uh, next chapter is here. Um, so how did, how did the relationship with DFS come about? What was the, what was the catalyst? What was the, uh, the road? The road. Uh, I think we can all thank a common friend, Mr. Jordan Boxer, as to why we're all here. Uh, he's both a good friend and a work colleague. For me, uh, the connection was initially made with some of the um, Charles Poliquin courses I attended. I did the bioprint courses, um, and from there, I got exposed to the first time I'd ever seen someone combine health and performance in an eloquent way. Because my perspective is there's functional medicine and naturopathic medicine and holistic nutrition. They're kind of over here. And then there's sports nutrition and performance. And they're kind of not friends. They don't talk to each other. And it's shocking to me because one will help 
feed the other so much. And you guys are absolute embodiments of this where it's like, if you have a healthy athlete, they can perform at a higher level because their body, their tissues, their cells, their organs are better prepared to be stressed and able to recover. And the cool thing about being uh, in attendance of Charles courses is he would talk about something to do with aesthetics or muscle mass or hypertrophy. And then he would connect to sleep and magnesium concentrations and gut health. And I went, then I think what Paul, uh, Charles was doing was he was evolving his own platform. He was bringing in functional medicine practitioners to speak. Dr. Sachin Patel was one of the first ones I got to watch lecture live. And, um, for me, that in conjunction with doing a podcast at the same time got me exposed to all these experts in their field. And it's almost like you go, oh my God, these people are doing the most incredible stuff. I'm so lucky to be learning from them. Then you go, wait a minute, why can't I do this? And that's kind of what brought me here where, where the, um, the opportunity for this came up when I finished my mentorship studying health optimization. Jordan basically said, we're launching this company they are going to be bringing the highest quality sports performance supplements to the market that has the NSF for sports certification, which many of my athletes have told me they can't take something unless it's NSF because for their own peace of mind, they don't want to risk it. And Jordan said, well, in order to be able to utilize this, this line in practice, you need to go through an education course. Would you like to design that course? And I went, yeah, please. When can I start? Yeah. Uh, and then that started a very humbling and interesting journey of creating a, a course essentially from nothing and recording it to myself, because that's essentially what you do. Is you that's what we do these days, yeah. <laughs> hours of just talking to a camera and hoping that you're not making weird, awkward faces or that you're not saying um or and or but too often. Uh, but as of this day, September 24th, all the modules have been recorded, so... Uh, I hope that we can be live as of October 1st or maybe the second week of October latest for the course to be able to be purchased and people to start learning. Yeah, we've definitely seen some teasers from Designs for Sport. And so tell us a little bit about the course in detail. It's called Applied Sports Nutrition. I think that's the finalized name. I'm not, I'm not a marketing guy. I'm terrible when it comes to marketing. You know, know your strengths, know oh. your I don't know. Do you have an Instagram? I was, I was creeping around like you're... I do not. I am a ghost. I wow, got, I like you know, that. Yeah. I got rid of social media um, almost two years ago. I tried coming back for a couple months, and I kindly went. Kind of thought, eh, I'm not really enjoying this. The only thing I am doing is I'm in the process of building a website that I would like to use as um, an academy. And actually, you guys, you guys will be the first people I will have said this to publicly. The, the area I want to focus on is uh, men's health. All right. Copy the magazine. But there, there is a lack of, when I think of who's kind of champion, championing for men's health from a physical, mental, you know, emotional, whatever perspective, I can't think of a lot of people. And a lot of my clients who are not pro athletes are CEOs and executives who have sacrificed all of their health for the attainment of money and success. And now they're spending all of their money trying to get their health back. So that's something that I would like to do. So the, there will be an online presence where someone can find me, but it is under construction. And uh, I don't think Instagram is the, the area for 50 plus men when no. it comes to marketing. No, no, you, you're, you, you might not be a, a marketing master, but you nailed that. Yeah, so. exactly. So you don't play to your audience. My, my girlfriend suggested YouTube and I think it's a much better opportunity in, in the future. 
Um, but uh, yeah, the course, which is still to be named definitively, the, the approach I took was if I were starting, what would I have wanted to know that was packaged together? Mm-hmm. That was the first question I asked. The second thing is what is uh, an essential piece of knowledge that will pertain to adding value to using a high quality supplement line? And I took those two questions, I put them together and I created seven modules, um, macronutrients, the biochemistry of all of them, which you can't get away from. I tried to do it. No, nope, you can't, way. you can't. You can't get away from monosaccharides and disaccharides and triglycerides and all that kind of stuff. But I tried to make it as practical in terms of the takeaway and, and as fun as I could. Uh, there's a micronutrient module for vitamins and minerals. I've done digestion and the digestive system. Uh, I have the microbiome and the gut immune system. I have energy metabolism, which is my favorite one of all, biased. Uh, I have inflammation. I have hypertrophy. And I think that's all of them. All right. That's, that's so, the start. Who should take this course? Is it beginners? Is it someone who has Absolutely nutrition? everybody on okay. the planet. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Um, I would like anyone who is in the health space, the fitness space, the holistic space, anyone who needs to know the inner workings of how the human body works and interconnects, I think there's value in them taking this course. Because the, the barrier to entry for most people diving deeper is their adversity to cracking a 900 page biochemistry textbook to learn about how the body makes energy. I try to make that a one and a half hour long video that's broken up into 10 to 15 minute chunks so that you can do one and it doesn't compromise your whole afternoon and you can come back to it and just do it again as a quick refresher before moving on to the next short video. I tried to make it ready for the social media Instagram generation because we're used to getting, you know, our subconscious mind is now used to getting information very quickly and we have information instantly accessible. So that's kind of the new style of learning as I see it. So I wanted to marry that with generating enough interest to wanting to stay a little bit longer. I want to entice people to commit to doing this stuff because you said it best. You can't get around biochemistry if you want to know nutrition. You can't get around physiology if you want to know how the body works, but you can make it less painful than dry, absolute emotionless text on pages. You can make it something where there's some jokes, something where there's some practical examples the main, uh, the three guiding principles I tried to use were perspective, context, and understanding. I brought everything back to that because I think it's as, it's as complete a picture as you can paint without having to specialize to a point where you have to spend hours upon hours in the minutia of one topic like a master's program or a PhD would. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's so important, you know, to have a, a course like this that goes through that because I definitely didn't have that. I've, I've pulled from a lot of different areas. And I think a really important thing to point out is your background in strength and conditioning and exercise. I think your, you know, general understanding, and I, I know that this is played to an advantage for me as a sports nutritionist is knowing, you know, that my strength training background has really helped to, you know, propel that. So even if that is a, you know, obviously understanding energy and how, how it's produced. Like it's so, so important because if you just, as you know, if you just take a holistic nutrition course, they're not going to go into that detail of exercise that, you know, if someone is putting that much stress and demand on their body, it's a whole different, you know, it's a whole different picture when you need to create programs for them. 
Yeah, I mean, you get what, maybe eight hours in the entire program of sports nutrition. And it's a great introduction. It gives you exposure. Um, but by no means do you walk away being totally well-versed in all elements. There are different divisions of knowing, like you just said, well, how do you create a diet that's calorically appropriate? How do you do a macronutrient split? And how do you focus on the recovery piece or priming the nervous system beforehand? So, I mean, I, I, I created this knowing... Um, thinking that if I were given this course when I started, I would have shortcutted my journey by about three years. I wish I had it too now. (laughs) You know, Jordan said something really, uh, really insightful regarding those in the strength and conditioning industry. He, he likens them to becoming the general practitioners of health. Because if you think about medicine, medicine is more focused on illness. So people who are in the medical world in many ways, health and performance isn't what people come to them for. They're not feeling well, they want to remedy their illness. But if someone's healthy, you know, this is the question that my mentor posed to me, what are you healthy? What do you do now? You can find ways to make someone healthier. And we've already established that healthy people are ideally the prerequisite for being high performers. So focusing on speaking to the general practitioners of health, the strength and conditioning world, how often do you guys see your clients? How many times a week? Right. It could be, a, let's say for, for us, it's five, but and you probably know everything about them, probably stuff that you wish you didn't. <laughs> and it's like this, you build that rapport and they become so trusting in you that they will bounce all of their health ideas off of you. So if you're in a position to be able to guide on a topic that you didn't otherwise have that confidence in prior to taking a course like this, not only have you helped your client, you've added value to yourself as a professional. Now, all of a sudden, you're more valuable in the industry. You can charge more for your time. You may be able to get into a different echelon of doing what you guys do, working with pros, whereas before you may be working in a larger gym, having that as a, a future forward goal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, the personal trainers and the strength coaches, they see their clients more than any other health professional sees their clients. And because you spend an hour minimum, the inevitable conversations about food, sleep, supplements, health health trends, fitness fads, it all comes up. So the more well-versed you are, the better your bases are covered in terms of your knowledge and your understanding. Your advice is going to be to a degree, not just subjective info of what you like or what you think is a good bias. It's going to be, all right, I know how to take this. They're asking me an energy question and a fat question. So Fat loss, how do you prime the system for fat loss? Well, lowering inflammation, improving digestion, biasing a low-carb diet, playing with hormone levels. Now you know how to put all those pieces together and generate an outcome. So what are those big pillars for you when we talk about optimization as opposed to, you know, just, just working on health issues um, when it comes to those clients who do want to focus more on just being healthier, even though they are very healthy. So what are, yeah, what are some of those big pillars for you that, you know, when it comes to just, let's start with like lifestyle nutrition, we'll talk supplements after, but um, yeah, lifestyle nutrition, what, what do you focus on with that optimization person? So if I have an idealistic world, I have no limitations for someone's lifestyle. Okay, got it. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, looking at how humans have evolved, an evolutionary biology lens is a pretty good indicator of what our system has been accustomed to and adapted to, right? What has the human diet evolved away from? Foods that are fresh, foods that are seasonal, foods that are not, you know, excessively energy dense to things that are more convenient biased. 
So teaching someone the value of, and this may not be where people thought it would start, but teaching the value of going to a farmer's market and learning to cook. Because it's really hard. You know, I heard this one thing one time. It's like, eat as much apple pie as you want. Eat as much cake as you want, but make it all from scratch. <laughs> That's going to discourage everyone because I I've that. never made a pie, but I've watched someone make a pie. And I don't think most people have two hours to dedicate to pie making every time they want a pie, right? So yeah, you just pointed I, to him. I love, I love pie. Who doesn't love, love pie? pie? Yeah. Who doesn't? Pie well, people are seeing it, but that's, a, that's for different <laughs> reasons. Um, but, you know, starting by, by trying to get as in touch with our environment from a dietary perspective as possible and knowing that there are certain rules that nature kind of goes by that the convenience food system does not. For example, I want you both to tell me what is a high carb, high fat food that's found in nature at the same time. Doesn't exist, right? But you can go to any greasy chain restaurant and get a boatload of high carb, high fat foods. And what these do is they prime our, our brains and prime our expectations and taste buds for things that, that make us crave these things. So it's a habitual thing. It's getting back in touch with you know, essentially how we're supposed to live. That's the first thing. And when it comes to food choices and food selection, um, I would say the vast majority of people probably need to manage their carbohydrate intake to a degree because people overabuse carbs, especially if they're sedentary and they sit at a desk all day long. And the kinds of carbs you eat should always come along with the natural dosing of fiber and phytonutrients and vitamins and minerals. So your cells don't get flushed with excessive energy toxicity all the time. And then looking at, you know, proteins and fats, if someone wants to do a macronutrient calculation, that might be specific for, for what it is they need as a pro athlete. But the average person, if you eat whole foods, you know, like it's really hard to binge on avocado. <laughs> Try eating two avocados in one sitting. It's not easy. So, so rewiring how someone relates to food in that way and methodologies of, of optimal cooking that's going to do a lot if they can, you know, nail down those lifestyle elements. And then, you know, right now we're transitioning into fall, fall fruits, apples, pears, fall vegetables, sweet potatoes, squash, you know, kale, Swiss chard, all those things are in season. So they're so nutrient dense right now that it's really hard to go the wrong direction. If you take a high quality vegetable or two high quality vegetables, get an adequate source of naturally raised protein from a butcher, you combine that into a meal and find a way to learn to go at least four hours without eating for the, the average person and not getting hungry. You're kind of restoring how all the signals inside your body are meant to work. Yeah. I love that. So what other lifestyle factors are kind of part of that uh, optimization? Um, I would say there are two other things that uh, when committed to, they make a massive difference for people's overall health. Uh, the other would be honoring your circadian rhythm. All right. So we are governed by when the sun, the sun rises in the morning and when the sun sets in the evening, our, our physiology is tied to it in the sense that it governs when hormones are released from our body. It governs when we should be most active. And it also governs when we start to make melatonin levels and downregulate activity factors. So if you can get up in the morning and get some degree of sun exposure on your face and in the evening, um, don't get, don't go for these high efficiency energy bulbs that are super blue dominant, you know, get some blue blocking glasses or, or cut the electronics in the evening, 
light a candle, read this old school thing called a book, not reading on your phone or reading on your computer, um, what you can do is you can kind of regulate your sleep-wake rhythm so that things like hormonal signaling restore their communication abilities, uh, your sleep quality and sleep duration improves, and anytime that improves, things like insulin sensitivity, sorry, insulin sensitivity restore themselves, um, your wakefulness is greater, your energy levels are higher without needing caffeine. And I would say the last thing that kind of goes in conjunction with that is um, the balance between your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. This is one thing that not, not a lot of people know. The adrenal glands are the only system in the body that between the both branches of the nervous system that don't have a parasympathetic innervation. So every other, every other organ has an on and an off switch fundamentally, if you want to look at it very simplistically, but your adrenal glands only have stress activated or no stress. There's no anti-stress. So what's happening with most people is they don't realize that their foot is always on the gas pedal. And the analogy I will say is, you know, if you have a car, does your car, age better and perform better by driving it harder all the time. No, you need to maintain that vehicle. But nowadays in 2020, I find people have such a hard time shutting off. I just did a session with a, a client right before this call actually. And you know, he's doing this program, he's in this mentorship group, he's doing all these things. And I, I looked at him, I said, when was the last time you just literally fluffed half an hour away and did nothing? And he said, I don't remember. And that's a big problem nowadays. Like we lose the ability to play. We lose the ability to relax. And the physiologic consequences of what happens when people do this is you start burning up resources from your, yourself faster. You induce the aging process because you're always sympathetically driven. You're always in fight or flight. And, you know, looking at those patterns is that's what governs our physiology. You know, looking at supplements for mitochondrial function or you know those are a little bit downstream but if you don't regulate the input signals first and foremost it's like throwing water on a roaring fire but someone's throwing gas on the other side you're never going to extinguish the fire fully yeah and i think that's such an important point obviously you know we're talking about supplements we take them highly believe in the benefits of them um, but if you don't have those you know foundational pillars then again it's just it's not helping the overall picture and you're kind of no. wasting your money in a lot of cases because it's never going to be a cover-up for you not doing the work in your lifestyle 100%. 100%. and it's not sexy stuff it's like oh you know optimize your sleep yeah. like how many times do you chew your food and it's not sexy that's it like no one gives a shit about the stomach everyone wants to talk yeah. about the microbiome but without a properly functioning stomach your microbiome gets trashed yeah but paradoxically yeah. you know you need supplements if you've pushed yourself so far to balance to find your way back to health For and sure. i mean because you've gone so far outside the bounds of what the body was maybe intended to do or expected to tolerate so you need to be more proactive in your strategies to remedy and that's where things like supplements and you know infrared saunas and all these cool biohacks that we're doing they have their place but as you said very eloquently the foundational pieces have to be there not only to not require you to regenerate but you know supplements work better in healthier people yeah they really do yeah there's certain prerequisites that need to be met yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And I think, um, you know, the major thing is targeted supplementation. So a lot of people, you know, I, I know when I started out in the nutrition industry, I was like reading about everything. I'm like, I'm going to try this and I'm going to try this. And it wasn't specific to the goal that I had at that time, you know, when it came to my exercise and everything that I was doing in my life trying to figure it, figure this out, which I think it's cool to experiment. But again, you know, it, it should be very targeted in, in what phase you're going through and that type of thing. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's knowing what it is you need. I mean, that's why I love doing lab testing with clients um, mm-hmm. because you can take a lot of the subjective guesswork out of it. Symptoms are great to work off of, but, you know, symptoms can have a crossover where they mean one thing in one person and they mean something different in another, but the expression of what they're feeling is kind of the same. So Targeted supplementation is the fastest route. To yeah, absolutely. What are, uh, what are some of your go-to tests, lab tests that you do? Um, I created kind of like a, a custom panel that I run with everyone where I start off with uh, a Dutch hormone test yeah. and I do the urine, uh, sorry, not the urine, the saliva uh, cortisol add-on. I run an organic acid test and I run a comprehensive stool panel. And if given the luxury, if I'm, I'm working with clients in the U.S., I will run the organic acid test in conjunction with um, blood micronutrients and mm-hmm. amino and fatty acids because they pair so well to give you even more data. Yeah, love it. Love it. That's where um, we geek out. What's that? <laughs> That's where we get to geek out. We will definitely geek. We should probably do one on lab testing too. I, I did my functional diagnostic nutrition and I'm very into getting as much data as well. So we will definitely. Tell me when and I'll come be, back. <laughs> that could be a full podcast for sure. Um, so speaking of, we have some questions at the end here and I think there's one that, you know, is probably pretty obvious, but what are your go-to supplements right now and why? Um, I go to supplements. Let me quickly run through what I take in the morning. Um, so my favorite multivitamin is one called metabolic synergy by designs for health. Why, uh, every vitamin and mineral is in an incredible form, but they also have a lot of nutrients that help support specific elements of metabolism, good profile of chromium, alpha lipoic acid, stuff of that nature. Uh, and it's worth the money, even though they're more expensive products. I definitely think when it comes to supplements, um, it does the, the connection between cost of product and quality of product is an absolute mandate. Um, I also take a, what else do I go with right now? Um, some alpha GPC when I need to get my brain up regulated. I use some right before this podcast. Uh, I take a prebi- certain prebiotic fibers. I'm experimenting with a lot of, a lot of different stuff with GI health. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the areas I specialize in. So I always try things on myself before I will ever give them to a client. Uh, everything except estrogen. Um, I'll try it on myself first. <laughs> Fair. And um, other than that, I think what I'm mostly going on are high-dose B vitamins, a good multivitamin, vitamin K2, and we're getting into vitamin D season where – we're not able to make any from the sun. So I will do moderate doses of vitamin D and hopefully I'll check my blood levels in the winter to make sure I'm either maintaining or I need to potentially bump up my dose. What, what, what dosage? I go at 5,000 IU just to be safe, to kind of keep that static. Um, and if I do need to go up higher, I might consider doing like a twice a week where I do 20,000 IU on two separate days of the week just to do a super physiologic dose and just see if that actually bumps things up a little bit higher. Oral supplementation with vitamin D is a little different because you have an additional step where you need to activate the vitamin D into 25 OH. So some people genetically do it really well. 
some people, their VDR receptors are a little bit lazy. So um, fundamentally speaking, if you can do it from the sun, it's the best, but 5,000 IU for the average person on a daily basis in the winter with some vitamin K2. I think uh, it's the unloved stepchild of the supplement family that should be probably promoted a little bit more. For sure. I like it. Awesome. So what does a typical day look like for you? So let's talk about yeah, nutrition, um, just some of your, your health pillars that we, we talked about. Sure. Um, uh, generally speaking, I think wake up, in, I, I try to naturally wake up. I, I don't set an alarm. I'm fortunate enough to where I don't need to. So I'm, I'm, whenever my body wants to get up and get out of bed, I just kind of let that happen as it's meant to. Um, I get up in the morning and my ritual is I make my espresso. I have my espresso with my girlfriend and nothing happens before we do that because the world doesn't exist until I want it to. Meaning if I don't turn on my phone, if I don't look at my phone, uh, we'll go up to the roof of the building we live in and we'll just get some sun and we'll have our coffee and just, just be. I think it's, it's so easy to get out of bed these days and go right into work mode. And if you don't make time to have the necessary balance, it just likely won't happen on its own. So that's how it starts. Um, I usually do a little bit of a fast because I'm not doing intense competitive athletics anymore. So I find I'm kind of switching more to longevity and optimal aging perspectives. So I'll do like a a fast until maybe 11 o'clock where I'll make my first meal. I generally do kind of like a lower carb lunch and then I'll usually do another meal in the evening. I'll eat twice a day. And days I'm active, I might have something in the middle of, uh, middle of the day, either prior or after my workout, depending on when I do it. And I try to um, get as much outside time as I can, interrupting the necessities of staring at a computer screen or sitting down, walking around, just you know, trying to find a way to find that balance when it comes to health. What, uh, what's exercise look like then, if it's no longer competitive sports? Uh, yeah, there's, a, there's obviously a transition period there to where you have to not dictate the quality of your day by how intense your exercise session was. Um, I, I try to get in the gym uh, three to four days a week. I like doing a, a, a total body, an upper and a lower split. And I once had a love for competitive sprinting that I gave up. So I've slowly found my way back to the, the sprint track and I'll do maybe one or two days at the sprint track or I'll do a day where I do a distance run. Um, because I think a, a good general approach to fitness is stressing all of your energy systems, like stressing your aerobic system occasionally, stressing your anaerobic lactic system, doing like a three rep or a five rep max in the gym with a front squat or a deadlift, just to be as you know complete and uh, capable as possible. Because at my age, I want to be able to play a sport and not blow something out, or I want to have enough endurance or fitness level to just do something and not worry about not being able to complete it. That's pretty much the biggest concern I have when it comes to physical fitness these days. Awesome. Uh, what's, what's one deeply held belief that you've changed in the last, the last year? <laughs> the emotional aligning with or, anything or, in the health industry. <laughs> I like it. Well, here's the thing, right? <laughs> so if you have a very strong set of beliefs that shapes your reality, whether you realize it does or not. And if you emotionally relate to something like the ketogenic diet because you had an amazing experience and then it makes you shit on the vegan diet because you think it's dumb, 
well then you might have a lot that you're compromising your ability to learn from because there may be things in that that if you don't drop your ego, uh, you'll never have exposure to. So for me, it's trying to be as objective and removed from being too emotionally invested in anything with health and fitness because we know that the information is always changing. And if you don't allow yourself to be adaptable to that change, uh, I think it compromises your ultimate abilities and integrity as a health professional because if something's been disproven and you've built an entire model around this concept that you're so emotionally uh, attached to, it can all dissolve or, or be pulled right out from under your feet. So having the humility to know that, like you talked in the beginning, you learn to realize that you know a lot about something only to realize that you know so little about things in the, in the greater context. So that's something I've changed my belief systems to. I used to be a little too as I would see it rigid and emphatic about what I believed was right or wrong. And now I just look at everything as contextual and perspective. Well, I think that's the only, if, if you want to exist in some sort of performance sphere, and obviously you do, that's the only way to, to look at it really like principles are principles, but they only, like, they apply in a set situation. But if you don't apply observational data to it, then you just wasted a principle. Like it's always wrong, but it's also always right. Exactly. And that's the, the, the area people hate to be in because nothing's definitive. And there's also a lot of dogma that gets developed around that because people, people confuse subjective opinion for fact. And that's an important thing about the industry is like, you can have an opinion about something, but if someone has a difference of opinion, it doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means they're looking at things very differently than you. And it might be right in their world. Mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. So important to, to point out. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us on, on the first interview on the DFS podcast. Oh, so thanks for having me guys. It was a lot of fun. I hope, uh, I hope the content was exactly what you were looking for. Oh, fantastic. I think this will be one of many. Absolutely. Uh, we had a couple ideas coming out of it. So that's fantastic. What, is there anything else that you'd like to, to leave our, our new listeners with and your new listeners who can't find you anywhere on social media? Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll change that eventually unless they're, <laughs> they've heard me in the course enough. They're like, yeah, that guy can just stay in. Um, <laughs> I would say that uh, I want to thank them for allowing and i know this this venture is going to be a success for the company for all of us involved uh, i want to thank them for their support i mean we we've listened to the the desires of people in the strength and conditioning and fitness industry who want more from their skill sets more from their professional abilities and we have done what i think is a pretty good job of actually taking that and creating a proof of concept so for whatever happens, thank you for the opportunity for this to be here. Because without them, this would be just a dream. <laughs> totally. Well, thank you so much, Roland. We really appreciate your time today. And uh, we're really excited to dive into your course too. All right. I would like some feedback. So I, I look forward to when you guys can. Thank you.